So during the past number of weeks, um, as you know, we've been exploring uh, the nature of God. And we've been asking questions like, what do you think about when you think about God? What does God look like? Um, and the profound revelation that we've discovered or recovered or reminded ourselves about is this beautiful, game-changing truth that God is love. And it seems so simple, but in fact, it's a deep, far-reaching truth that at the very center of our faith, God is love. And it, it ultimately defines the kind of community, the kind of people that we're working to be and to become. Where, where many, um, even sadly some Christians, have depicted the nature of God as, as a distant or absent deity or as an angry and vindictive judge who kills his enemies. You know, our story is good news. The Christian story, as it's understood rightly, is an unfolding revelation of God in the person of Jesus. Jesus being someone who lays down his life for his enemies. And the scriptures are an unfolding of this revelation um, and this understanding of God that it slowly moves out of the shadows and into full technicolor. And so we see Jesus as the face of God. And Jesus speaks of God by revealing this loving and kind and compassionate Father, a Father who operates not in fear but in love, a Father who draws each and every person into his house by love, into his family by love, around his table by love. And the ultimate revelation of God's love is in Jesus, the, the image of the invisible God. And it is in Jesus dying on a Roman cross, the manifest example of God's kindness and his self-sacrificial love for humanity. Jesus on a cross, dying for the world, for you, for me, that we might come into the knowledge of this kind of love and be redeemed by it, be healed by it, be freed and liberated in it. You know, 1 John 3, 16 says that this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. 1 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, all this is from God, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God is reconciling the world to himself through one thing and one thing alone, and that is love, that love alone is, cred is credible. Love alone is credible. And this is such good news that God is love, and that this reality, this truth, this game-changing truth that God is love, it, it does change everything. It has changed me. God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. God loves this world because he is love itself. It is his very nature to love. Um, we did not earn this love, but through grace we have been loved in Christ. So this is the good news. This is the gospel this morning, Redeemer. And all of this is accomplished through not fear, but love. That love alone is credible. And the power of this love flows outwards. We looked at that. The, this love will change us. And it as it changes us, it flows out to change the world. That it will change the world. This love will change the world by first changing 
us one person at a time. Today, I wanted to take this a little bit further. If our God is love and if our God operates in, in love, he wants us, his people, his church, to operate in the same kind of love. And to see this, I want to look at a passage in Philippians chapter 2. You know, we love engaging with the scriptures, the Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and we allow these divinely inspired ancient texts to tell the story of Jesus and to speak to us today, to speak into our lives, to speak into our contexts, that we might live the story out faithfully in the world. So let's read. It's uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a beautiful beautiful, beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 2. Let me give you a little bit of background on this passage. Philippians is actually, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, written by St. Paul. He writes it from prison and he writes it to one of the earliest Christian communities that is situated in the town of Philippi. In fact, the church in Philippi was the first Christian community that Paul started in Eastern Europe. Philippi as a city was this ancient colony of the Roman Empire, situated in eastern Macedonia, and it had such a diverse population. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was largely known for its patriotic nationalism. And so while living there, Paul faced, well, he faced an awful lot of resistance from the authorities living there as he announced the good news, the gospel of Jesus, as the revelation of God, as the, as the true Lord and King of the world. And of course, the resistance came because this message of Jesus as Lord flew in the face of Caesar as Lord and King of the Empire. Um, So with this resistance and with more of the mission to continue, Paul moved on, but he did leave this faithful community of the way of Jesus in Philippi. And this community of the way remained vibrant and faithful to the Messiah Jesus. And it also remained really supportive of Paul on his, on his travels around the empire. And so when in, in, in prison, Paul receives this support from this church that he'd planted. And, and as a response, he sends them back this letter 
that we've been reading from today. He sends it back via a man named uh, Epaphroditus. And it's really a thank you note. He sends it to give, to give thanks to them for their support. But it includes some amazing encouragement for the church as they're attempting to live the way of Jesus out faithfully in this somewhat hostile colony of the Roman Empire in Philippi. And so this letter, it's a series of short reflections or vignettes that resolve around a poem, a messianic poem. The passage that we just read in chapter two is that messianic poem. The whole letter centers around those 11 verses. The central poem, it's one of the greatest summations of the gospel in so few words. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah, Jesus, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. And so in this letter to the Philippians, Paul is basically trying to tell this community this. And he'd want us today in Redeemer, he'd want the church today to know this too. That, and this is what he wants to say, that, that basically that to live as a Christian is to see your own story as a lived expression of the Jesus story. That's how Paul was thinking. That's what he was trying to communicate through this letter, that we should see our own stories individually and collectively as these expressions of the Jesus story, that we are, in effect, little Jesus, that we're living out the Jesus story in time and place. And even today, in 2020, that is the call of the church, to be Jesus to the world in time and in place and to live out the story of Jesus um, in our time. So what is this story of Jesus? And well, in this poem, we see the love of Jesus. We see ultimately what is talked about here is the humility of Jesus. Jesus who being in very nature God, Jesus who was the divine human, did not consider equality with God something to exploit or use to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing taking upon himself the nature of a servant, humbling himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This poetic image of the Messiah is so utterly subversive um, in the context of the world that Paul was writing. In this world in Philippi, where Paul was writing to this church, such a subversive message. N.C. Wright helps us to understand this further. Basically, he says, he says this, that, that when people in the ancient world, they thought of heroic leaders, they thought of kings, they would have thought of Alexander the Great, who at the age of 20 succeeded his own father to the throne of Macedonia and quickly became master of all Greece. And then he went on and conquered the rest of the world and by the time Alexander the Great died at the age of 33, he would have succeeded all of that conquering of the world to such an extent that people would have thought of him and regarded him as divine. In fact, he himself had suggested this. So in Paul's world, the, the, the closest equivalent to Alexander the Great would have been the Emperor Augustus, who had put an end to the long-running Roman civil war and had brought peace to the whole known world. 
it wasn't long before many grateful subjects came to regard him too as divine. The power of military might and the immense organizational skills required to hold the empire together made this the natural conclusion for them, that he was, Augustus was, divine. Other rulers did their best to copy these models. This was what heroic leadership looked like in that world. And only when we grasp this do we begin to see how deeply subversive, how utterly countercultural that Paul's gospel message regarding Jesus of Nazareth was. His resurrection had declared him to be Israel's Messiah. And in doing so, he was then the world's true Lord. He was the reality where Alexander and Augustus were like caricatures. This is what true global sovereignty looked like. Hadn't Jesus said something similar earlier? Do you remember when Jesus said, world rulers lord it over their subjects, but it mustn't be like that with you. With you, the ruler must be the slave because the son of man came to give his life a ransom for many. That's the, those are the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Um, a few weeks ago, um, Beth and I sat down to watch the, the musical theater production, Hamilton, and we loved it. Um, the acting, the whole spectacle, the whole show, the production was just, it was so utterly compelling and brilliant. We were just entranced from start to finish. We loved it. Uh, Hamilton tells the tale of America's founding fathers in 1776 as they seek independence. And specifically, it tells the story of a forgotten American founding father called Alexander Hamilton and his ascent out of poverty and into power against the backdrop of the American War of Independence. And among the many themes, it struck me while I was watching this, um, how much the idea of legacy was discussed, how much the, the, the idea of power was discussed, and how much the, the, this idea of how these men would be remembered, how they would go down in history, was a theme that went throughout this whole, uh, the whole musical. Uh, and like any flawed human leaders, these men, these founding fathers, were, they had brilliance. They were brilliant, but they also had some, some great failures too. They, were, they, were, they suffered from selfish ambition, from pride, from big egos. They were, they were slave owners. They went to war. They used might and force to accomplish uh, so many of their goals. I think in 2020, when we look around the world at the leaders and, and at those in power, I don't even need to name any names, we realize how flawed we are as humanity. You know, bit by bit, we see leaders uh, and those in power being exposed uh, in the news, uh, investigative journalism, whatever it is, are exposing these people in power, these leaders, they're being found out for having done unspeakable things. Uh, the corruption, the exploitation for their own end, the abuse of their powers, mistreating others along the way. So whether you have good leaders or whether you have those that are utterly corrupt, no one is perfect. And all of this stands in stark contrast um, to Jesus of Nazareth, the pagan gods and the heroes 
And then Jesus of Nazareth, who doesn't choose to go the way of Alexander or Augustus with strength, with ego, with military might and force, but who comes as a servant. This is a stark contrast. Jesus comes as a servant. He comes to wash people's feet. He comes to listen to women and to children, to everyone. He comes to love and to heal the lepers and the outcasts. He comes to forgive sins and comes to bring people to the Father. He comes to lay down his life, to sacrifice his life on a Roman cross for his friends, for the world. In the person of Jesus, we see the stark contrast of what leadership looks like, of what of what, of what love looks like, the wisdom of God confounding the expectations of leadership, not operating in fear or might, but in, in love, in the person of Jesus. There are some things that can only be said in poetry, and this is one of them, this short poem that we've read today. We have this, it's an incredible statement of Christian faith in Jesus what was accomplished and what was ultimately looked upon as, as a remarkably full and rich statement of the doctrine of incarnation of God in Jesus as the Messiah. And all in these verses, in this poem, we see that captured so beautifully. And it also is Paul trying to give the deep groundwork for the self-sacrificing unity that he wants the church to have. In chapter two, Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I am struck by that, but I'm struck by this short phrase that comes just a few verses before this. In verse two, Paul says, this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. The same love. The same love. The same love. We, the church, as followers of Jesus, are to follow Christ's example. And we do this by having the same love the same love that Christ has for us, the same love that Christ has for the world, the same love that the Father has for the prodigal son, the same love that the Father has for all his children, kind, compassionate, humble, sacrificial, selfless love. This is the way of Jesus and this is the way to full life. This is the way, this is our example, the same Love like Jesus, we see him contrasted to other pagan gods and other heroes and other ways to power. We see Jesus entering this servant posture of humility. Um, and in this messianic poem in chapter two of the letter, we see Paul modeling this pattern of Jesus in humility and sacrifice and in dying to self modeling to us that we're to let go of our identities, that we, the, the identities that we cling to. And instead, living as Christians means that we see our own story as living expressions of the Jesus story, that we're to imitate 
the way of Jesus, that we're to imitate his life, to have the same love, to lay down our lives for others, to not take advantage or to exploit things for our own end, but to have humility as Christ had humility. The amazing thing about this is that we see at the end of the poem that Christ is exalted. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father, and we see him demonstrating that the way the, 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 the way to go is to follow his example of humility and of love, to not grasp at power, to not exploit, but to have that same love, that same love of Christ. And that's the kind of love that we are to have as followers of Jesus, the same love that we are to have as the church, to be informed by a kind, compassionate, self-sacrificial love. And I don't know about you, but... I mean, I find as a Christian, trying to follow the way of Jesus is so challenging. It's so challenging um, it's, it's, to not be selfish, to, to follow Christ's example, to love others is a great, great challenge. I think particularly right now, as we live in such a, a time as this, uh, no ordinary time at all, 2020, through this coronavirus period, through this lockdown, through all that's going on in the world with the social unrest. Um, and we see so many, there's so many things happening around us. Um, we're not able to gather, even as, 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 as big groups, we're not able to gather in, uh, in the church together as a church family. Um, we're, we've been siloed for some time in our own homes and I think the, the overall effect of that can, can leave us feeling quite insular, can leave us thinking about our own interests, perhaps can, think, can leave us a little bit more disconnected from one another. Um, I want to contend this morning that um, as we even move toward reintegrating back together again, as we move toward normality again, I want to encourage us as a church, as a body, as a group of people to, to be... Uh, inspired, instructed by these words of Paul and by the example of Jesus and his humility, to be formed by the same love that Christ had for us, um, to put others first, to think of others before ourselves, um, to, 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 to follow that way of Jesus, which is one of kind and compassionate love. Um, that is the great challenge for us, but that is the invitation put to us and it's put to us today as a community. And so let us do that. Let us have the same love uh, that Christ had for us. Let us be a people that are marked by love. Let us be a people that are shaped by love. Let us, people, let us be a people that are known by our love for one another and for our world. Um, maybe you want to join with me as I, as I just pray. Before we move to the table, I just want to pray for us as a community that we would be that kind of community. Um, and then we're going to move to the table. We're going to break bread together. We're going to drink wine together. And we're going to remember that love that Christ had for us uh, through these elements, through these sacraments, and his death on the cross in such a wonderful way that we can do. Um, 
But please do join with me as I, as I pray this morning. Father God, we thank you for the beautiful words of Philippians 2, the beautiful words of Paul that instruct us to have the same love that Christ has for us, to be formed by that way of love, to be formed by that love ethic, to, to, to not consider ourselves above others or before others, but to put others first. I pray today that we, Redeemer, our church family would be one that is so shaped by love, so formed by love, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another, meeting each other's needs, praying for one another, contending for one another, contending for unity together as a church. Would you, Lord, enable love to, to reign in our community here in Redeemer? And may we be people that are marked and shaped by, by nothing else but the love that you have for us, shaped by the same love that you have shown to us and no more clearly have you shown it in Christ on the cross for us. We pray that we would be that kind of a people. And we pray this uh, in the name of Jesus today. Amen.